Emily Krauss, a young woman from Pennsylvania, and her boyfriend were in her small car on their way driving to Hershey. Now, you might not know this. Hershey is a real place in Pennsylvania. Hershey, PA. I lived in Pennsylvania three years. Never made it to Hershey because my parents are slackers. Um, but uh, what I've heard is that the street lights there look like Hershey Kisses, which I think is awesome because I think Hershey is just amazing. But they weren't going to Hershey for the chocolate or for the amusement park or just to get out on a drive. They were heading to see Dave Matthews. Apparently, she was a huge Dave Matthews fan. How many of you guys like Dave Matthews in here? Yeah, huge Dave Matthews fan. And unfortunately, they got a late start when they took off uh, from home. So they're already running late, and they don't want to miss the concert. You want to get there, you wanna, depending on where they're going to be seated, um, you want to have the opportunity to get as close as you can. It was going to be a stellar show. So they're flying down the back roads, and in Pennsylvania, things are a little different. Highways for most of the, most of the state are, that's just kind of like a, a misnomer. I mean, I come from Southern California where like a highway, a freeway is like, you know, six plus lanes. And there's just major traffic. But you get into these highways back east, and there are some like that here. It's just two lanes with a yellow stripe down the middle. So they're on the highway flying through the mountains of Pennsylvania, which are more like hills, but the roads just curve and curve and curve and meander up and down, up and down, around and around and around. And they're flying, and they suddenly come upon a, upon a guy who was out riding his bicycle and had a flat tire. And he's by the side of the road in, in nowhere, nowhere near civilization. Now, um, Emily had just, for whatever reason, I'm imagining she rides a bicycle too, had a bike rack installed on her vehicle. And so she's got this whole conflict going on inside of her when she sees this stranded guy on the side of the road with his bicycle. It's like, on the one hand, we paid good money, we're already running late, and we want to get to Dave Matthews. On the other hand, here's a guy who's completely stranded, and he's going to be absolutely stuck. And who knows when he is going to make it to civilization. She probably could have said to herself, somebody else will pick him up. But then she's like, but I got the bike rack. I could totally put his bike on the rack and drop him off somewhere really fast. It's not going to take me that long. So finally, her boyfriend, uh, and, and she had concluded this conversation. And she decided, ah, I'm going to bite the bullet. I'm pulling over and helping him. She pulls over gets out to help, and discovers, true story, it was Dave Matthews. It was Dave Matthews. He got into town, and before his concert, his big concert that night, he just wanted to get out and clear his head, so he didn't take a cell phone, so nobody could call him, hopped on his bike and just took off riding, and then got a flat. She pulled, and she imagine how stunned she was. And she's like, it's Dave Matthews. 
And she said that her and her boyfriend were so starstruck that they couldn't even have any, like, real decent conversation with him because they're like, oh, it's Dave Matthews. Dave Matthews and my VW bug or my, what, I forget. It looked like they were driving like a rabbit or something. I don't remember. Small, compact car. They're like, Dave Matthews is in the car with us. In fact, after church today, you can go Google it and make, make sure I'm telling you the truth. You'll see pictures that the girl took a selfie picture with her camera, with her phone, where she's here smiling and Dave Matthews is right there. <laughs> Dave Matthews was, I mean, so appreciative to them that when they got to the concert, he gave them backstage passes and invited them to come backstage and eat with him and with the rest of the crew. Pretty amazing day, right? Did anybody else see this story on the news not that long ago? So, you know, this really happened. I was blown away. In today's text, if you listen to our gospel reading this morning from Luke, Jesus actually turns to the crowd, a crowd that has been following him, a crowd that is growing. He turns to the crowd and basically accuses them of following him, but not really recognizing him. They were following him, but they didn't really get it at all. He basically tells them that he couldn't understand why they couldn't understand the signs of the times. Him coming to Israel. Everything for them was about to change. Everything. It's only days away, and their whole way of life is going to be turned upside down just a few years from this day. When the temple, uh, when, when Jerusalem is overran by the Romans and the Jewish temple is torn down block by block, it hasn't ever been rebuilt. And they were banished uh, from, from, from that city. With most, with many, many of them being taken back as slaves to Rome and they actually helped build the Colosseum and other monuments that actually insulted them. Jesus is bewildered at this crowd who's there but still doesn't recognize them. They seem to be so preoccupied with whatever it is that they think is important that they can't recognize who's right in front of them who's shown up in an unexpected way, right there. They still, they're so preoccupied they didn't get it at all. Listen again, um, I'm only going to read Luke 12, 54 through 56. But listen to Jesus and almost try to imagine a sense of surprise, frustration, as Jesus looks at this crowd who is gathered and says, starting in verse 54, when you see a, a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, it's going to rain. And it does. And when the south wind blows, you say, it's going to be hot. And it is. Hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky. 
How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? Let's pray. Lord, this is a tough saying. This is one of those passages in, in the Bible that makes me uncomfortable. This whole section. Surely it would make some of us, uh, some of my friends in here, uncomfortable as well. And I don't think that that's what your intention is, but I do think there's a challenge in this for us this morning. May you give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you are doing and saying to us in this moment. In Christ's name, amen. Question this morning is could it be possible that you and I could find ourselves making the same mistake that this crowd did 2,000 years ago? Now, right off the top of my head, I would like to say, no, we're way smarter than them, right? These people, they were just somehow deficient. If I had been there, I would certainly have recognized Jesus for who he was. I certainly wouldn't have fallen in with this crowd that was there but not there. And yet, the more I go along, the more, if I were looking at this passage, as I was praying through it this morning, I, I felt myself having to admit to God that I feel like it's very possible that I could have been in that crowd. It's very possible that I could even be doing that now. Not that Jesus is standing among us somewhere getting ready to go be crucified all over again. But he does show up in our lives, often in ways that are surprising, in ways that we would never see coming, at moments that would catch us off guard. I don't think God like wants to do that, like he gets a super big kick out of us not getting it, and he's like, yeah, I got him again. Guess what? You all get to go to hell, because I'm smarter than you. I'm just so excited when I get to trick you. So excited. I don't think God is like that. I don't think God just is like like uh, like the Jack in a Box on Elf. <laughs> you remember that whole scene? Like God's just waiting, going. God. <laughs> like God's just in heaven going, oh, I can't wait to get him again. Just don't see God actually being that way, you know. So my question is, is Jesus saying anything here that could help us to not make that kind of a mistake in our lives right now? I think he is. I think he is. What could we do, based on what we've read here, just in these couple of verses? What can we do so that we don't miss God, so that we don't miss the signs that God is giving us about what he's doing at this moment in history, at this moment in our lives? What could we do? I think there's three basic things from the text. The first is we can believe that God wants to communicate with us. 
First, we can believe that God wants to communicate with us. God wants to share his heart. He wants to speak to us. That's why I'm excited about Rob's class, because I know how God speaks to me. But I know that God doesn't speak to everybody in that way. Now, I don't, just to be honest, I don't hear audible voices from God. It doesn't work that way for me. It doesn't work that way for most human beings. It worked that way for people like Paul, you know, but I think that was something Paul needed because ultimately he was going to go get beheaded for Jesus. And if I could avoid that fate, I would like to do that. God, if I ever hear an audible voice from God, I'm going to be like, oh, man. I don't know. But check it out. The first thing we learn about God from the scriptures, from the Bible, in Genesis, the first thing we learn about God is that God is. That God exists. In the beginning, God. The second thing we learn about God, you might say, is God speaks. That's a crazy thing, when you really think about it. God, the creator of the universe, speaks or communicates. And that he created humanity with the ability to communicate at a very sophisticated level. You ever think about it? I mean, you ever watch like other creatures communicate? You know, it's, it's pretty, it, it can be fairly sophisticated, but it's nothing like what's happening right now. Nothing like what's happening right now. I mean, think about how dogs communicate when they greet one another. Isn't that weird? It's just disturbing. I'm glad that God created us with a capacity to be able to communicate in ways that are better than that. you imagine what greet, greet one another time would look like in church? Turn around and greet three or four people. It'd just be so disturbing. <laughs> but God created us to be able to communicate with one another. He also created us to be able to communicate with Him. In the first very artistic picture that's given to us about God's creation and intentions for humanity, where the writer paints a picture of God creating humanity out of the dust of the earth. A man named Adam, a woman named Eve, and they're placed in a paradise garden. And they're naming animals, hanging out, walking with God. You say, Steve, did that really happen? I think in a certain sense, absolutely. What? We see this picture that God wants this relationship with us. He wants to communicate with us. He wants us to know him. He wants us to get it. From the text, we see that Jesus looks at the crowd and he says, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say it's going to rain. And it does. When you see, or when, when the south wind blows, you say it's going to be hot. And it is. And then he goes on to look at them and say, hypocrites, how come you can't get, you can, you can interpret the weather, but you can't understand the signs of the times. So I was wrestling with that. I'm looking going, Jesus seems to be saying, that God makes the signs of the times accessible to everyone. They can be as plain and obvious as the weather. If Jesus was telling this, if he was telling that to people here in Arizona, he might say, you guys, when you look 
out to the east and you see a huge wall of dust 40 stories high, you immediately say to yourself, put the pool cover on. It's going to get dusty. And it does. You say to yourselves, Woo, look at those thunderheads rolling in in the middle of August. You see the lightning and you hear the raindrops and you say, oh, tomorrow's going to be humid. And it is. It seems that Jesus is saying that God wants to make it obvious. He's not in the business of trying to hide everything he does that he wants us for whatever reason, God has chosen to involve us in his mission in the world. That God wants us to see the signs and recognize them and know. God wants us to understand. That's why I think Jesus is almost uh, has a sense of shock as he looks at the crowd going, I don't know why you don't get it. A question might be simply, do we want to hear from God, though? And I'm going to be honest with you. There are times and moments in my life where I really don't want to hear from God. I just want to do what I want to do. Just being honest and making confession to all of you so you guys can say, tell me to do a few Hail Marys and absolve me in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because to be honest with you, there are times I don't really want to hear from God. Because I'm afraid of what God might say. I read a story um, this week about an a man as far as he can use But I've known I've known other people that are like, I don't want to hear from God because God's gonna ask me to go live in a hut on the Nile and I hate mosquitoes. I'm afraid that God's gonna tell me to do something with my life that I'm utterly not going to like whatsoever. Has anybody else been there but me? You're like, oh, I don't want to hear from God because I'm afraid of what he might want me to do. And I just want to do what I want to do. Right? Sometimes we get to the point where it might not be, you know, God might be speaking and the signs might be there. But the fact is we just, maybe a part of us doesn't want to hear. We're afraid of something we just don't want to do. But we can believe, we can start by believing God wants to communicate. And his intentions for us are good. He wants us to know what he's up to. The second thing we can do is be real. We can believe God wants to communicate with us. And the second is be real. Right here, um, in I, the NIV is a really good uh, translation of what I'm about to tell you. Remember that the original text here that is being written is in Koine Greek, right? 2,000-year-old Greek. Jesus says a word here that disturbs me. He says to the people, you guys can interpret the weather fairly well. And then he looks and says, hypocrites. And then I looked it up in Greek, and he says, hypocrites. I'm like, whoa, Jesus, that's pretty harsh. What kind of harsh words? I traveled out here. If I was part of the crowd, I'm thinking, you know what it took me to get here? Jeez, I'm driving that old camel. My donkey has just been acting up all day. It took me a long time to get out here so I could listen to you. And then you, 
look at me and call me a hypocrite? What did I ever do? I look like I'm doing the right thing. You know, got up early this morning, put on some good clothes, made myself look presentable. You know what kind of traffic I had to fight to get here? Jeez, the donkey path was clogged up for miles. Am I not here, Jesus? Am I not part of the crowd that is gathering around you? Why would you call me a hypocrite? This seems a bit harsh. I found myself wondering, Steve, could you be a hypocrite? In case, you know, because we have a diverse crowd. Jesus doesn't mean a creature that is kept on a lot of Hogwarts. Right? Right? Because those are dangerous creatures, right? Right, Marla? Is that right? Did I get that right? A hypocrite? A hypocrite? They're dangerous. This word here, hypocrite, literally means like one who's a play actor, one who's speaking from beneath a mask. In other words, they see their lives on a stage and they're performing. They're creating an impression about themselves for others that isn't true because who they really are is what's happening beneath the mask, behind the mask. seems like Jesus is looking out here at this crowd, realizing they follow him, they're there in the crowd around him, but they're not there for Jesus' reasons, they're there for their own. And let me be honest, we all come to Jesus for our own reasons too. Me too. So I don't think that they're so much different than us. But Jesus seems to be saying that they are so hung up on stuff that they think is important. They are so hung up on whatever is motivating them to be there that they can't even hear what he's saying. They're so hung up on the things that are important to them that they can't see the signs of what God is doing that are as plain as a storm on the horizon. Somehow the inner condition of their life has made it so that they are there, they're following Jesus, they're in the crowd, but they still don't get it at all. Wow! They were too hung up on their own stuff to actually listen and discern what God was saying to them all. What's crazy is if you read this, these verses in context like we have over the last few weeks, you see that God clearly, Jesus is clearly saying that God cares about what we need. Like he cares, like we're all, you know, get hung up on, you know, we need to make a living. We got to make a living. We have to have food. We like to have some nice clothes. We like to get the bills paid. You know, we, we have needs that need to be met. And Jesus said, the Heavenly Father knows about those needs and cares about those needs. He actually does care. He intends on providing for us and taking care of us. But Jesus says, don't let your lives be driven by the same things that drive the lives of people who have no relationship with God whatsoever. Don't allow yourself to be driven by that stuff like everyone else is. It's no way to live. God cares. He intends to provide. 
And I think Jesus is looking out at the crowd that day going, you guys are still so being driven by what drives everybody else in the culture today. That you can't even see the signs that are right in front of your face. That you can't even hear something that is being made so plain. And I think Jesus is heartbroken about it. I think he's challenging the crowd to be real. Be real about their hypocrisy. Beware about it. Beware of hypocrisy. This is it's so easy to fall into, isn't it? It really is. Remember when I first started out in the faith, I, ran, I, I thought that there were days where I was like this close to not sinning at all. It's like, God, the worst thing I did today is cuss at someone in my head. But other than that, I was pretty amazing. It's amazing how the Holy Spirit works in my life. I'm just, gosh, next week I'm walking on water. But the thing about stuff like hypocrisy and stuff that destroys our relationship with God is that it's subtle. I don't think any well-meaning Christian wakes up one day and says, you know what I really want to become? A hypocrite. Like even the Pharisees that Jesus has such a problem with in in these texts, I don't think that they woke up one day and said, you know what I really want to do? I want to be a hypocrite that ignores God but looks like the most holy man walking around. I don't think they do that. I think somewhere it happens along the way without them even really realizing it at times. Well, sometimes you can be a flat-out hypocrite, and, and, and we know it. And other times, I think you might become one and not have seen it happen. It's easy to fall into. We live in a culture of fear, right? A culture of fear and of advertising. We're always afraid there's, never gonna, there's not going to be enough. There's not going to be enough. You need to go and get yours. You need to be out for number one. And the other thing is, once you get something, you better do everything you can to hold on to it because there's a, there's a chance that you might never get anything again. You know what? It was, it was so much easier for me when I was like a teenager to take huge risks for God. You know why? Because I didn't have anything. It's easy to go to God. Lord, well, it's not easy. I shouldn't say it's easy. It's not easy. Let's say it's one thing to go to God when you don't have anything. And you God, and you come to God and you say, God, I surrender all. Everything I am is yours. Do with me whatever you please. And that's a risky thing. And it's not easy to do, but God can enable you to do it. What I'm finding is once you go on in life for a little bit and you find yourself in a bit of a comfortable situation, it's a whole lot different thing to go, God, whatever I have is yours. Because, God forbid, I mean, we like being comfortable. I like being comfortable. I love being comfortable. I was so ecstatic. Last week I went to the AMC Theater at Arrowhead, and I found out they installed, like, leather couches for everybody to sit in that recline. You got more than enough leg room. You can push a button, and it'll go, you lay there, and you can watch a movie. It's like being at home, except you don't know the person sitting next to you. Comfort. I love comfort. We're afraid we're going to lose. We're afraid that God is going to take everything from us and we're going to be reduced to nothing. We're afraid to take risks. 
We live in a culture of fear where it's constantly, you turn on the news and everything seems to be trying to make us afraid. I don't know why that is. Maybe fear is just a really good motivator to get us to buy stuff. Because we're also a culture of, adver- of, of being advertised to. A culture of consumers. Like, I was shocked. I mean, I, I'm shocked at myself. Because I normally consider myself a fairly intelligent person, at least halfway. And you know what I've been doing for the last two weeks? Every day, walking around, singing a commercial. I'm singing a commercial, regularly. I've watched this commercial probably 20 times. I've shared this commercial with 400 of my closest friends on Facebook. I've made my wife endure it in the car again and again and again. It's like a multi-billion dollar industry that has researched me and how they can craft their message so that it will stick in my soul. They, They did their research so well that I am now helping them to do their advertising and I can't get the song out of my head. And some of part of me believes it. I believe it because I want football on my phone. I want football on my phone. You seen that commercial? I mean, I think if you're like a man somewhere close to my age, they, they researched us. And they're like, this is going to get them. I don't think the NFL and um, I don't think the NFL and DirecTV just wanted to make me laugh. They've lodged it in my head. So I just walk around the house. I'm like, football on your phone. Football on your phone. You like that little run, huh? Football on your phone. Julie gets mad about it. But then next thing I hear her coming down the aisle, coming down the hallway. Football on your phone. Last week, I even went and looked. How can I get football on my phone? I need football on my phone. I've never had football on my phone before. It's like our culture. I mean, this, I mean I'm not like a conspiracy theorist. I'm just saying flat out, people research and study how to market and advertise. And they're really good at it. They're really good at it. So we have a culture that tells us you need more, 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 more. And also a culture that says, Dang, you better keep what you got because tomorrow could be really bad. And then we try to become followers of Jesus. And Jesus invites us to live a way that totally goes counter to those things. He says, God does know and care about what you need. He's going to provide for you and take care of you. But you can't let your life be driven by the same thing that drives everybody and really get it what God's doing it's not like God won't let you it's just like you just can't do it you know what I mean it's like the signs are there but you can't see it when you're being driven by the same stuff that drives everybody I think Jesus asks us to be real to examine our hearts examine our hearts for hypocrisy you know I show up every Sunday mostly Could it be possible, though, that somewhere in my heart I'm here for my own reasons rather than God's? If I'm going to be honest, yeah, it could be. Third thing we can do is be observant. We can believe. God wants to communicate with us. We can be real and we can be observant. 
Jesus says, how is it that you don't know how to interpret the present time? The word interpret, we might say, interpret, understand, get it, discern it. But the thing I found interesting about this word here is that it has an active sense about it. It's not passive. Jesus is not just saying, you guys should all, you're looking at the crowd. Jesus is not saying, you guys should have been able to pick up on this just easily by laying back and doing nothing. He chose to use a word that means putting some effort toward it. A word that means actually working to take an account. To weigh something out. To actively discern what's happening. It's not passive. It's active. It's intentional. He chose a word that just totally ruled out the possibility that they could just sit back and expect to get it, what God's doing, automatically. But a word that more means that they are intentional about looking for what God is doing and what God is saying. And it seemed that this crowd wasn't. It seems like they were more interested only in their own concerns. And when it came to the things of God, they were into God if God would do what they wanted him to do. But other than that, they just kind of laid back and put no effort into really discerning what is it that God is saying? What is it that he's doing? What do these signs mean? Jesus chose a word that would carry with it the idea that it was going to take a little bit of effort. Going to take some experience of prayerfully seeking God to really get it so that you don't miss the plain signs that are as obvious as a storm on the horizon. I wonder what if Emily Krauss had not stopped to pick up that hitchhiker that day. If she would have been so concerned with getting to the concert early enough so that she had time to go get two beverages of her choice, and to find her seat and get comfortable. She had been so concerned about that that she said, I just don't have time for this hitchhiker. Think about what she would have lost. Not only her, think about the whole crowd, thousands of people's nights wrecked. And would she have knowingly wrecked everybody's night? I don't think she would have knowingly said, you know what I want to do today is ruin about several thousand people's nights. I want to drive all the way to Hershey and sit there and be disappointed. When the same band keeps, when the, when the, uh, the opening band won't stop playing the music I don't, didn't even come here to hear because they can't find Dave Matthews. I wonder how, she, she would have never known. That's the other thing. She would have never known. She would have been sitting in her seat comfortable, irritated, and not known that had she had a different attitude that day, things would have been totally different. I wonder, that challenges me. I wonder, what might we and the world miss out on if we who follow Jesus don't recognize the ways that Jesus is unexpectedly showing up in our lives? 
What might we and the world lose? It looks like we have so much to lose and have so much to gain. My prayers for myself and for us is at this time, may we set ourselves to be the kind of people that are going to recognize the signs of the times. May we be the kind of people that that becomes the priority for us. The kind of people that don't just show up in the crowd and don't really get it at all. May we be the kind of people that recognize, that see and hear. The kind of people that obey and join Christ in what he's doing. Stand with me.